Good morning. Today's scripture is from Micah 1, 1 through 7. The word of the Lord that came to Micah of Moresheth during the reigns of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judea, the vision he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Hear you, peoples, all of you, listen, earth and all who live in it. The sovereign Lord may bear witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. Look, the Lord is coming from his dwelling place. He comes down and treads on the heights of the earth. The mountains melt beneath him and the valleys split apart like wax before the fray. The like water wash, rushing down a slope. All of this because of Jacob's transgression, because of the sins of the people of Israel. What is Jacob's transgression? Is it not Samaria? What is Judah's high place? Is it not Jerusalem? Therefore, I will make Samaria a heap of rubble, a place for planting vineyards. I will pour her stones into the valley and lay bare her foundations. All her idols will be broken to pieces. All her temple gifts will be burned with fire. I will destroy all her images. Since she gathered her gifts from the wages of prostitutes, all the wages of prostitutes, they will again be used. Good morning. And welcome all of you who here in the live service braved it through the roads and those of you in the video cafe. Let's open in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity once again to hear your words read, to sing about your glory, to pray to you and lift up our requests and just to glorify you. Now speak through your word and through your Holy Spirit. Teach us, convict us, encourage us. Help us to learn more about the man Micah and the prophecies and the teachings he brought. Speak through my words. May they bring out your text. We give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I've mentioned before that one of the things that has blown my mind and my taste buds more than anything was something I tasted in Tijuana a number of years ago. Chocolate habanero ice cream. It was cold. It was hot. My brain was confused. I bring that up because Micah is going to talk a lot about the justice and the mercy of God. And sometimes we show you the anger and wrath and justice of God and think they cannot exist with the mercy of God. But of course, as we know, those of us who live in this age, that these things met at the cross of Jesus, where he took our place, where God's anger and wrath was satisfied and also his mercy as well. But both of God's wrath and his love motivate us to repent and to turn to Jesus. God's anger and wrath motivates us to avoid judgment. And we'll see this in the initial and the first teaching in Micah. God's love and mercy motivate us to embrace his heart and to know him personally and to want to please him. And the subtitle for this whole series is Listening to God, because his argument in each one of these is if you would just listen to God, things would be much better. Things could change. 
We're going to do a little bit of background. We're going to spread it out over the first few weeks so that we don't just end up with 20 minutes of background on the book of Micah in the first sermon. But we see in verse 1, the word of the Lord that came to Micah of Moresheth during the reigns of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. The vision he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. That last part is just introducing the first of his visions. And what we see here is the time that he lived. I'll tell you, we don't know a whole lot about Micah other than what is in the books because he's not mentioned much other than that. And so we'll see him mostly, primarily through his messages. Israel, the prophecy warns of the demise. Micah was writing about the demise of both kingdoms, the northern and the southern kingdoms of Israel. He roughly overlapped with Isaiah. And so he was saying that first the northern kingdom with the capital city that's mentioned here of Samaria would fall, and then the southern kingdom with the capital city being referenced here, Jerusalem, would fall because they had stepped out of God's will. And so that is one of the big points is that Micah is not going to be a touchy-feely, lovey-dovey type of book. It is going to be one that you need to repent because God is angry. And so we'll see the mercy of God because God is sending all these people like Isaiah and Michael to call people away from what they deserve. We also want to look at some of the things happening in the day. What about religious things? Uh, Near the end of Micah's life, this is just to get um, perspective historically, the Upanishads, the Hindu oral tradition started to be um, composed. It was another 2,000 years before most of it was written down, by the way, and several hundred years before the very first ones were even written down. And so the roots of Hinduism were just starting to come out at this time. And uh, it is amazing that uh, the Bible, when we think about religious things, that we have so many copies of Old and New Testaments that are so close to the time they're written. Whereas like for Hindu things, the best ones we have are 2,000 years after based on oral tradition. As far as empires, um, this is talking about the time of the rise of Assyria. Um, At least part of Micah's book was written before Samaria Um, the northern kingdom of Israel was overthrown by Assyria. But they were the big boys at the time. At this time, Babylon was weak. And not too long, that would switch sides. Babylon would become strong. Assyria would become weak. But this was all about the Assyrians. The Greeks were actively colonizing the Mediterranean and the Black Seas. Um, And they were loosely organized into city-states, if you remember your history on this. Um, But they were not a power um, to be reckoned with by this time. Italy was weak. Um, There was no Rome. It was being colonized by Greece. This is the time where their legend of the birth of Rome by Romulus and Remus occurred. So their way, way back history, their legendary history was during this time. And of course, this is rather late in the Old Testament um, as far as we look at it. Egypt was weak compared to their past, um, but it was the biggest it was during this empire and these set of pharaohs. Um, China, we don't see that talked about here, but it was the middle of the Zhao dynasty. 
Um, by the way, over 100 years before the start of uh, Chinese philosophy, Confucianism and Taoism. Um, so when Micah writes, it's at least 100 years before anyone even started to put in their philosophy. And uh, the thing that we want to note here is that there was external strength for these countries and internal decay. They had money. They had power. They had militaries. Um, they thought they were doing pretty well. And yet they were dying from the inside out. By and large, with notable exceptions, most people were not devout followers of God. Even though they're God's chosen people, they did not choose themselves to follow God. And so they were rotting away from the inside. And thus, it was hard for people like Isaiah and Michael, Micah to say, repent. Because the people said, we're doing pretty well. Why do we need to repent? Life is working out pretty good for us. But they didn't realize the instability of their foundation was being rotted away. And pretty soon, everything was going to crumble. And he was trying to get them to repent now when there was time. A young one of my grandchildren snuck into his father's soda pop supply and took one of the great big bottles, not the two liter, but the one in between the smaller and the big ones. And he snuck it down into the basement and he was happily sitting there drinking it. And his sister came to tell on him and dad heard about it and came down there and she had warned him, I'm going to go tell dad. Well, he kept sipping away, no problem, sipping away. It still tastes just as sweet. Dad didn't come down. He's still drinking it. There's about this much left. Dad comes down. There he is sitting with it in his hand. And dad says, you're in trouble. And he knew it. He knew it. But you see, even with the warning from his sister, you're going to be, no, no. Everything's fine. This tastes really good. I just think that for this child, if he would have gone up and said, Dad, I'm sorry. I took your pop. I snuck it away and hid it. It would have gone better. But the punishment was a little more severe because he got caught sitting here smiling, drinking it. This is the Israelites. This is the northern and southern kingdoms. They're caught and said, what? And it is a warning to us to try and repent early. This is the grace of God, and this is why these things were written down. And I still am amazed that the Israelites enshrined all the stories of how they blew it. And they lifted it up and said, look at this so that we do not repeat it. It's for us to learn from. So that's the big background. Let's get into the text for today. Four ominous things in this text. As I told you, this one is not a touchy-feely one. First, an ominous summons is a courtroom scene here. Hear, you peoples, all of you, listen, earth, and all who live on it, that the sovereign Lord may bear witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. People are being summoned or called before God to hear from him. 
We see here, even at the beginning, the theme that we see, listening to God. And we are invited sometimes to listen to God. We're urged to listen to God. God sends people into our lives. He tries to wake us up in different ways. Ultimately, God will summon people. And there will be a time when you are compelled to listen to him. And it's talking about this. Some of this will happen after our lifetimes. And we're asked to come and listen to God before that great summoning where we stand before God. He is putting people on the spot. And you notice that it's not just Israel, even though the primary message here in the call out is Samaria, the capital city of the northern kingdom, and Jerusalem, the capital city of the southern kingdom. He's calling to everyone else in the world. And he wants everyone to listen to what he has to say. And so by extension, this message is for all of us. He was putting everyone on the spot. A story I read a number of years ago. They wrote, uh, one evening, my teenage daughter and I were shopping when she decided to make a purchase. She greeted the cashier with a high and then proceeded to dig nervously in her wallet. She's having obvious trouble counting out the correct bills and change. Rather than help, the cashier simply stood and watched, like this, while she fumbled and mumbled her way to the correct amount. Finally, the transaction was completed. As walking to the car, my daughter turned to me and said, that was my math tutor. (laughs) She had problems with math, and here she was trying to make exact change. Ooh, boy, isn't it wonderful to have your math tutor check you out? This is the type of on-spot we're being called to. I don't like this any more than you do. I don't like to be called on the spot to talk about anything God wants to bring up. Anything out of balance in my life? No, I'd really not want to think about that, let alone talk about it in a public courtroom setting, please. And yet, this is what the summons is. And God is going to bring out their dirty laundry an attempt to reason with them. And even though it is rather public, and even though it is rather invasive, it's rather gracious, because God is trying to get them to avoid the consequences of the way they're heading. Is it not good if somebody would flag us down if we were taking a wrong turn? Or doing a wrong thing? Isn't it good to have a sign that says bridge out when you're driving down the road? Or do you want to just figure that out when you have to slam on the brakes and see if you can stop in time? It's nice they put those barricades up. I remember walking across a scene once where there was this barricade, but one car had driven right through it, and the car was no longer there, but you could see he had gone 40 yards into the fresh cement on the interstate. Well, I'm sort of glad they make it hard to do that, aren't you? I bet it's a little bit hard on the car after it's been sitting muffler deep in cement. And so God is trying to warn us about things that are bad. And he's trying to reason with us. And God, we see, is a witness for the prosecution. Now, that's a problem. When you have witnesses, you have to see who's the witness, how reliable they are, right? When God's the one that shows up and said, I'm here to speak against Bill. Wait a second. 
Wait a second. I mean, give me a liar, give me a thief, give me someone I can discredit. Uh Uh-uh, not going to happen, is it? God is a witness for the prosecution. Get this, it's like Mayberry. He's also the judge. I still remember the episode. Andy uh, pulls somebody over. He writes a ticket. They go in there, and then he's the judge when they appeal the ticket. You say, wait, this is stacked against me. Well, it is. Get this, God is all-knowing. He knows everything you've thought, everything you've done, every inclination of your heart. I'm not going to bluff my way through this one. You know, I was pretty good in the essay questions. How many of you hated essay questions? Yeah, I see that. I loved essay questions. Even if I didn't know the answer, I think I could bluff my way through it. Not when God is the witness and the judge. It is not going to happen. And not just God, he is called sovereign Lord. In Hebrew, it's Lord Yahweh. Um, Normally, we translate Yahweh, Lord, all capitals. But what it means, Lord, the one who is in control, Yahweh, the ever-existing one. This is pretty impressive. And so we're told that we will stand before the one that knows everything. The goodness is, the wonderful thing about this, the one that knows everything about me, the one I cannot bluff or buffalo, is the one who sent Jesus because he loved me. That is the good news. And he is the one that sent Micah to warn people so that they would not have to get justice, but they could be saved through mercy. Second point, an ominous arrival. God is going to come in an ominous way. In one sense, he came to Israel in the days of judgment. But I think this has overtones of when the last days, when we're called before God. Look, the Lord is coming from his dwelling place. He comes down and treads on the heights of the earth. The mountains melt beneath him and the valleys split apart like wax before the fire, like water rushing down a slope. There's urgency here. Notice the here. Look, these are commands. He's calling us to right now pay attention. The idea is the signs of God's intervention are all over, and we can see them. And so let's get prepared for the day that God is going to come as judge so that we are prepared for that day. Notice it emphasizes the power and control of God. He's the creator. And when the creator comes down to the world, it's like he's too big for it, and the mountains are smashed and melt away. And so God is the one that we need to fear or we need to trust. God coming down. Oh, I remember. I had just a little taste of this. When we moved to Boulder, my brother and I had bedroom basement, uh, bedrooms in the basement. And when we'd be too noisy or too wild and stuff like that, we'd hear the bellowing voice of my large father. Four and a half inches taller than me, outweighs me by 100 pounds now. Do I have to come down there? No. No, 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 no. You do not have to come down here. We will keep it down. That was the absolute last thing we wanted. 
Mom, we could reason with. Dad, once he got there, the motivation it took to get out of his chair, walk across there, come down the stairs, there was going to be consequences. And whether they were physical, psychological, or grounding, did not matter. You didn't like it. And Micah's drawing this picture of God is going to be coming, and we had to be ready for that, because if we're on the wrong side of God, we do not want to receive his justice. My brother made candles. He used it to earn money for traveling for a band. One of the candles, he set too close to one of our space heaters. It was one of those Lord's Supper candles. Jesus and Peter will never be the same. <laughs> Look more like Cousin It and the Blob. Doesn't take much for wax to melt, does it? And the fire of God's wrath, an ominous arrival. And so we should be ready because God does want to forgive us. It is true, it said, he's not willing that any should perish. It is true that he sent Jesus so that anyone who admits their sin and believes in him can be saved. But if we don't, God will come and we'll have to stand as we are. And none of us will pass that test. We need to be saved through God's mercy. An ominous indictment. So we have an arrival, we have a summons, we have an indictment. All of this because of Jacob's transgression, because of the sins of the people of Israel. All of this, let's read it again, because of Jacob's transgression. Now this is by extension of their forefathers. Jacob is being extended out into his children, grandchildren, granddaughters. Because of the sins of the people of Israel. What is Jacob's transgression? Is it not Samaria? What is Judah's high place? Is it not Jerusalem? They're being indicted through their capital cities. And they're being told, just look at your cities and see if those are places where God is honored and revered. And Judah was not supposed to have a high place. High places were where the people of the lands they displaced would worship. They'd go on every high place because they would worship there and they'd build altars there and they'd go under every big spreading tree. Those are their places. When you talk about the high places, that means that they were not worshiping God, but they're worshiping other people. You see rebellion. We see sin being called out. No specific sin, just general sinfulness and selfishness being called out. And we see the transgressions. All of that is just being held out. The cities are called out as extension of everyone that lives in the land. Person writes that they were pulling in the gas station when they saw a woman drive off with a nozzle still in her gas tank. She jerked the nozzle right off the hose. Realizing what she'd done, she pulled back in, took the nozzle out of the tank, put it back on the pump, Then she went inside to straighten things out. While she was inside, aha, this is where the story begins, a young man pulled up to the pump. He took the nozzle with no hose attached and inserted it into his tank. 
He couldn't seem to figure out why it wasn't getting gas. Even took the nozzle out, repositioned it in the tank a couple times. This was before they had cameras and everything. Otherwise, you would have seen it on YouTube. I guess he thought it was wireless gas or something. (laughs) The same problem happens, though, to us. I can understand how this works. You know, you got other things on your mind. The same thing happens with our sinfulness. One by one, we justify the things we're doing. We say, well, that's not so bad. One by one, we focus on the things that stress us, the toys that we want to play with, the people we want to hang out with, and we don't look at our lives. And we don't ask, where are we with God? How are we treating other people? Are we honest about ourselves? And we're clueless. And God calls us out and we say, us, really? Is it really that bad? One of the quoted verses in scripture, there's none righteous, no, not one. And sometimes we forget that because we tend to compare with people who are more heinous than us. And so we forget our need for mercy. The problem isn't just sin or rebellion. The problem was the leaders and people denied that they were rebellious and sinning. And they called their sinning choice and freedom. They called some of them victimless because they didn't look close enough to see the victims. And we still do that today, don't we? And they were caught off guard. They were indicted and they were surprised. Let us let the Spirit in. Welcoming the conviction of the Spirit is one of the most wonderful things we can do, even though it's so hard to allow. When he steps on our toes, when he convicts us, it's one of the most healing things because God loves us when he convicts us and wants us to avoid the indictment. Final point, an ominous outcome. An ominous outcome. Therefore, I will make Samaria a heap of rubble. This was the northern kingdom of Israel, place given to the Israelites where they could worship God and they could be a good influence to the rest of the world to point others to God. And here the capital city of the northern kingdom was not going to be beautiful buildings, but a heap of rubble. A place for planting vineyards. It's as if we'd say D.C. is a place to grave Graze cattle. Be a sad thing. All her idols will be broken to pieces. All her temple gifts will be burned with fire. I will destroy all her images since she gathered her gifts by the wages of prostitutes. As the wages of prostitutes, they will again be used. Spiritual prostitution. It's possible in this time, there were other times when there is ritual prostitution in the very temple of God in Jerusalem. But what I think is being talked about here is spiritual prostitution, that is going to other gods. I think some of this was superstitious. Let's just, you know, uh, 
you know, make sure we check all of our boxes. Maybe God is a true God, maybe this one, let's try and please everybody. So they would be syncretistic. They would add in another God. Some of this was economic. Um, You did business with people who believed in other gods, and so it was good to have images of their gods in your business place. God wasn't having it, by the way. But there are a lot of reasons to have this. But here are God's people who one of the very ten commandments, you shall not have any other God before me, and you shall not make a graven image, had all these images from pagan. These people are supposed to worship God purely and to know God as a person. We're falling into all the ways other people did it, and they had their gifts that they would bribe the people at the temple for, for special favors and think they'd get in special with God. They had no real knowledge of what the simple books of the Old Testament said. God didn't like these gifts, by the way. And by the way, he still doesn't want dirty money. He doesn't even want clean money that's given from a heart that isn't joyous to give. Father used to go to Moody Church and hear Harry Ironside tell people, don't give unless you give in the joy of the Lord. You see, because everything we do should be real. And there was so little of God in their ritual, and there was so much paganism mixed in. And so there was going to be destruction, and there was going to be laid bare. Now, the laying bare does mean destruction, because it means taking blocks off of blocks and stone walls. But laying bare also means showing the truth. It means showing the way things really are. This means to strip naked. And the ground can be stripped naked with the rocks and the buildings knocked down, but it is also to show us for as we are. And so I look at this and say, why do I play a game of trying to hide my failures and my sinfulness? Because if I hide it, God will show it all. It's only when I confess it that it is taken away in forgiveness and never revisited again. And so I don't want to have the day where everything is exposed. I want to come to God and say, here I am, emotionally, spiritually naked. I stand before you needing your mercy. And this is what he wanted them to do to lay themselves bare before God so that he would not have to expose them. So I don't think in the last day anyone will be thinking there's injustice in the way they're treated. I think there'll be a lot of regret that we did not pay attention to God's warnings. An ominous outcome for those who do not repent. All of this is heavy, but it's to motivate people to repent. It's given before it happens, not after. It's not laughing at someone or kicking someone who's down. It's trying to keep them from falling. And if it is heavy-handed, it's to try and wake people up. And I, for one, take it as mercy when someone tries to wake me up 
so that I can avoid something bad. Here's our application suggestions. Let us all remember that God knows everything about you and me. Um, He already knows it. We might as well be honest about it. God even knows the intentions. Every little piece. Sometimes that's wonderful, isn't it? Sometimes that's terrible. But God still loves us. And so let's not play games with hiding things. Secondly, prepare yourself daily to meet God. If you haven't met Jesus, talk to me or someone else before you leave. We'd love to talk to you about that. But once we know Jesus, be ready if Jesus comes today or if this is your last day so that you're not caught off guard. I don't want to be caught selfish and sinful I don't want to be caught even doing good things that aren't the best thing God has called me to do when he returns. I don't want, when he adds up my life, to have a lot of it burned up, to follow Paul's metaphor, and have very few of the precious things remaining. I want the time since I came to Christ to have more of the stuff where I live sacrificially. So let us listen to God daily and let him speak in so it doesn't add up so that he can correct us day by day, instead of three years of blindness adding up. Thirdly, ask God to search you for any spiritual unfaithfulness or rebellion. You can bring in some other trusted friends, but just ask God to speak into that. We tend to be blind. We don't see things. And so we have to invite people that we respect and especially the Holy Spirit. And finally, you can have plenty other applications that you pull out from this, but my suggestions end with this. Pray for those who are living sinfully, not against them. Look at Micah and try and call attention. Pray for them. Ask God to convict them, to show them the truth before the day of judgment. It's so easy to get angry at someone who is doing things wrong or hurting others or defending something that's untrue. But if I get angry at them, then I would have to be angry with myself because there are but for the grace of God go I. And God did save me from a place of sin through mercy. So let us pray for those. When we see people that appear to be enemies, let us remember there are no human enemies. There are only potential brothers and sisters. Let us pray for them and let us pray for them to see the truth of God's love and God's judgment and that they would embrace him.